0: Into the word today how about that if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2 Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse 1 it says and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered the census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria How many of you are familiar with that story? How many of you have already heard that story at least once this holiday season? I got one. All right, great. How many of you have read it? All right. I recognize that you're going to be hearing a lot about the birth of Christ over the next few weeks. But as we move quickly through the holiday season, I wanted to pull one thought out of the story of the birth of Christ that will hopefully challenge you to prepare yourselves For God's best in your life. You all know the story. I have no need to recite the details over and over again to you, but needless to say, the hustle and bustle of the census taking and the added pressure of visitors into this town caused the greatest miracle we will ever experience to occur, not in a hospital, not in a palace, not in a palatial hotel, or even a humble bed and breakfast. The greatest miracle that occurred took place among barnyard animals, in the midst of a cold, dark cave on the outskirts of the town of Bethlehem because there was no room for them in the end. Today I want to preach to you, make room for Jesus. The Jews of Jesus' day had a lot on their plate. They had been through catastrophic wars and foreign powers taking them captive, releasing them, only to then be subdued and occupied by other foreign powers, first the Greeks and then the Romans. They had seen them, their temple desecrated, uh, they cleansed that temple and then they rebuilt it by Herod, uh, but their temple now only seemed to be more of a place suited for politics and, 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 and shopping more so than the pursuit of God. The population was segmented between those who wanted to live holy and, the, and be separate and protect themselves against the possibility of sin and those who were more interested in appeasing the occupying government by incurring favor with Rome and gaining political power. As they cried out in their need for a Messiah, one who would come and rescue them from these foreign oppressors, they missed the very thing that God had promised he would do for his people Israel with the birth of Jesus Christ because there was no room. Today I wonder when God looks at us, does he see a vacancy sign or does he see no room? Man, I know you're familiar with this. Your wife finds a new piece of furniture, and she just has to have it, and it's the perfect piece to finish off this room. We need it. We got to have it. So you get it. You bring it home, but the only problem is that based on the way things are currently arranged with all the other junk that has occupied the space, there is no room for this new piece of furniture. So before you move it into place, you must spend some time doing what? making room, right? You have to make room for this new thing that's in your home. So what does it mean to make room? What do you mean when you say make room? I believe it means to search and remove those things that are in the way, right? Making room. John one twenty three, referring to John the Baptist, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. This scripture refers to John the Baptist obviously out in the days before the ministry of Christ, his goal, his job was to prepare the way for the Lord, to open the minds and the hearts of the people for what was to come when Jesus showed up on the scene. The words make straight the way literally mean to clear a path, to make room. Make room for what? Make room for the Lord's coming. Make room for God to be free to do what he wants in our lives. He has to make room. That's what John the Baptist felt was his mission. And today we have to in turn, make room as well. As we begin a new year, as we move quickly to 2019, we have to make room in our lives for Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, 132 says, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. The word enlarge there literally means to make room. We won't truly pursue the commandments of his word without first making room for them in our heart. The Bible says I have Hidden my word in your heart, that, in my heart that I might not sin against God. If you don't have room in your heart, you ain't got nowhere to hide it. You got to enlarge your heart. And in order to do that, you got to make some room for Jesus Christ and his word. We live in a culture that lives right on the edge, don't we? Right at the limits of every, in every area. We don't just overload our lives. We overload everybody around our li- us as well. We over, are overloaded with people, with information. Smartphones certainly contribute to that. Everyone has their whole life in the palm of their hand, literally. Every contact, every form of communication, email, text message, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Skype, FaceTime, on and on and on. For old fogies like us, you can actually even still call people with it. Our lives are planned out. They're scheduled. Sometimes down to the minute, there is no room for error. Our finances are stretched to the limit. Certainly no room for error there. One mistake in subtraction, and it could be catastrophic when you're living paycheck to paycheck. Anybody say amen? The rest of you say, Oh me, because we've all been there at one time or another. Living with no margin, no room for mistakes. Emotionally, there's no room there either. Many of us walk around with chips on our shoulder, daring somebody to knock it off, or worse. We're so emotionally spent that when someone asks you how you're doing, It releases a well of emotions and sets you on course toward what seems like a nervous breakdown. Why? Because we tend to live right on the edge. In every area of our life, we're right on the edge. If the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, our thought is how fast can I go without getting a ticket? Some of us have lived by the thought that the police have the idea that nine, you're fine, ten, you're mine. We get mad if the cop gives us a ticket when we're going over by only a little bit. Listen, God didn't create us to live that way, maxed out, pushed to the limit on the brink all the time. God wants us to have margin in our life. He wants us to make some room. It's the only way to live at your best. Revelation 3.20, I love this verse. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, some people may see this verse as a threat, like the big bad wolf is standing at the door knocking, I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff and I'm going to blow your house down. And if that's your view of God, I'm very sorry for you. Because Jesus is much different. He's not, he just knocks. He's not an intruder. He's a gentleman. We've all had that person at the door knocking and you're like, do I really want to answer the door? You know, Jehovah's Witnesses show up at your door, and you don't have time right now for them, and so you say to all your family, stay down, don't walk in front of the window, they'll see you and know we're here. Some of you are laughing because you said it yesterday. A pastor went out one Saturday to visit his church members. At one house, it was obvious that someone was at home, but nobody came to the door, even though the preacher knocked several times. Finally, the preacher took out his card and he wrote Revelation 3.20 on the back of it and stuck it in the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and dine with him and he with me. The next day, the card turned up in the collection plate. And below the preacher's message was written the following notation. Genesis 3.10. He looked it up. It said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So, that's the only excuse you have for not answering the door. No. So why does God stand at the door and knock? Why doesn't he just barge in, remove the junk that's in in our lives, and do it the way he wants to do it? It would make sense, right? He's God after all. Why doesn't he just blow the door down, kick everything out the way, sweep us clean, and make us the way he wants us to be? Why didn't he do that? I've never heard of Jesus forcing himself through anybody's door. He never comes uninvited. He always wants to be wanted, to be needed, to be desired, to be worshipped of our own volition and will, not because we have to but because we want to. Sure, he could make room for himself. He could create room, but it means so much more when you and I clear out the junk and create a spot for the guest of honor to show up into our lives. Sometimes it means we got to lay aside some stuff, some junk, some clutter. Do you have clutter in your life? you have clutter in your home? Do you have clutter in your bedroom? Oh, my daughter's not here. Uh, Sorry, I was heading down that road there. I absolutely abhor clutter. There are a few things that drive me crazier quicker than prolonged clutter. That's clutter that comes to stay. I can tolerate clutter that comes to leave. Okay, I had to sit this down for a moment, but I'm coming back to get it, to move it on. That I can tolerate. But clutter that comes to stay, it really grates on my nerves. Anybody agree with me there? I'm glad I'm not the only OCD OCD crazy person here. As bad as I hate it physically, sometimes spiritually we get attached to clutter, don't we? What do you mean, Pastor? Hebrews 12 and 1 says, therefore we also... Since we are, so surround, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Bible says we need to lay aside every weight and sin. I just think of that as spiritual clutter. It's stuff that's in your life that you don't need. If it's sin, obviously you need to get rid of it. But there's a lot of stuff in our lives that's there that may not be necessarily bad, but it's preventing you from being at your best. Here's a verse that describes the spiritual clutter of our day, the stuff we deal with every day. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like 2018? having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Maybe in your life it could be some bad habits. Maybe even ones that you don't tell anybody about. Maybe even ones that you deny having yourself. Habits, drugs, alcohol, smoking pot, pornography, gambling, you know, all the big ones. We all know about those. But how about the habit of spending? The habit of eating? And then there's habits that, again, not bad, but they can dominate if we're not careful. Sports. This time of year, hunting. Later, it'll be fishing. Later, it'll be golf, softball, you name it. Work. Right? There's things that we allow into our life to dominate us that if we're not careful, they can distract us from what God is trying to do. That doesn't mean you don't work. But it doesn't mean work's the only thing you do. Can you say amen? If we all will be honest, we all have things that threaten to crowd out the place of Jesus in our life, we have stuff that just piles up and pushes him out. Maybe for you, it's just that you no longer take the time to pray like you should. Or maybe some it's you that you don't spend time reading the Bible like you ought to. Maybe you've sacrificed your daily devotions at the altar of soccer practice and PTA meetings. Sometimes the things that crowd out Jesus are not bad things. They aren't sin, but they are weights. They are good things that we've chosen over the best thing. They are things that drag us down. They are things that keep us from being able to give our very best to Jesus because we are so distracted with all of the little things that are in our life. Sometimes the things that crowd out Christ are not bad. They're not sin. I would be remiss to tell you that your child playing soccer is sin. But if soccer drives your child to the point that all you do every day of the week is spend time with them and taking them to soccer practice, to this practice, and that practice, and to extra training, and that's all you do, well, before long, Jesus has kind of taken a second place, and soccer is number one. Can you say amen? Now, before anyone thinks this is a message of condemnation, let me just say the beautiful thing about Jesus is mostly he uses failures throughout the Bible. That should give everybody in here hope. (laughs) I know it does me. God rarely uses perfect people because there's so few of them. There would little work would ever get done if he was waiting for only perfection. I am thankful that God uses imperfect people, Brother Kevin. I'm so thankful that when God looked at me, he didn't see perfection to pass over. He saw imperfection that he could work through. That he could help me get over some stuff. He could work in my life. He could, if I would make some room for him, he might put up with the clutter until together we get rid of it, but I had to make some room. And because I was willing to make some room, he was willing to come and do into my life the amazing. Can you say amen? God uses mostly failures. Romans 7 21 through 24. I love this passage from the Apostle Paul. He says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He goes on to say, the thing that I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And the thing that I want to do, I always do something different. I wake up every day determined that I'm going to do right today. And then I end up falling flat on my face and doing something wrong. I'm at war. I've got this constant tug of war in me, pulling this way and pulling that. I want to do right, but part of me wants to do bad. I want to do good, but there's a part of me that's pulling me to do evil. This wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So while you're warring with the evil and struggling to do what is right, the answer stands just outside the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you have any room? Any room in your schedule today for me? Can you fit me in today? I'm patient, but I really want to spend some time with you. As we move quickly toward the end of another year, let's clear out some junk. Let's make some room. Because the God of the universe, not the rainbow vacuum cleaner salesman, the God of the universe not the kid selling magazines at your door. The God of the universe, the Savior who died that you might have life, stands at the door and knocks. Can we ever make room for him? If we can't do it today, when are you going to do it? You sing this song, you know that old song, Tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm not going to sing it, trust me. I thought about today, but Tomorrow. I don't want to live like that when it comes to Jesus, Kevin. I don't want to live like that thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there tomorrow. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, the song ends with the idea that tomorrow very well might be too late. I want to make room today, not tomorrow, not someday in the future, today. Four wise things I think we can say as we answer the door where Jesus is knocking. I think that we can find them in Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 16. It reads Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to let me have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I married a wife, therefore I cannot come. I don't know why. It's a date, man. It's already made for you. You didn't even have to pay. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. Still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. The first thing I think we need to respond when we know Jesus is knocking at our door is we need to respond, Lord, I'm ready now. Verse 17 Said, come, for everything is now ready. You know how great it feels when you know you're ready? Like you got people coming over, you're not doing the flight of the bumblebee, throwing things in closets at the last minute. You're ready. You prepared, you prepared a great meal. You've prepared the house by cleaning. You've done all the things necessary. Now you can take a breath and sit back and relax because you've done what's necessary. How many of you have parties like that? Not me, right? But wouldn't it feel great if you were ready? The day of my wedding, I knew I was ready. I couldn't wait. I had dated this wonderful girl for two years and the day had finally come, October the 8th, 1994, I was ready. I don't know if she was ready, but I was ready. ain't been ready since, but I was ready. God is saying, I'm ready. Are you ready? I have prepared everything. Are you ready? The Bible says that faith is now, Hebrews 11.1, one, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I, I don't know why the writer of Hebrews felt it is so important to put the word now in front of that, but I believe it's because he encourages us to recognize that this is not something that you delay. Faith is something you have right now for this moment right now. Stop saying I can't and start saying I can. Stop saying it's impossible and start saying nothing is impossible for those who believe. Stop saying if and start saying I will. It's time for us to recognize that we serve a God who is in our moment right now. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. We are so quick to delay or give reasons as to why we need to wait. Why don't you commit to making room for Jesus Christ today because he is ready. He has made all things ready for us. The second response I think you need to have when you get to the door to answer it is you need to answer, Lord, I have no excuses. Verse 18 says, but they all alike began to make excuses. Somebody bought some land. Got to go check it out. Somebody bought five yoke of oxen. That means there were ten big old things of meat that could have been slaughtered for the feast. I'm just kidding. Ten big old oxen that were yoked together, and he needed to prove that they could work. Another guy said, I'm married, and I got a wife. Excuses. Someone said excuses are like armpits. Everybody has one, and they all stink. I know that's gross. I know. But excuses are like that. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. I'm not going to sing it. But some of the old timers in here know exactly what I'm talking about. The words were like excuses, excuses. You hear them every day. The devil, he'll supply them if from church you stay away. People come to know the Lord. The devil always loses. So to keep those folks from coming to church he offers them excuses. The verses are great. You know, it talks about the preacher didn't shake your hand and all kinds of stuff and gives you a whole list of them. But excuses. I love being around people who have gotten rid of all the excuses, right? They finally have come to the place that they take responsibility. You know what, it wasn't my mom's fault, it wasn't my dad's fault, it wasn't my brother and sister's fault, it wasn't the preacher's fault, it wasn't the teacher's fault, it wasn't the neighbor's fault, it was me, Lord, it was all me, I did it, right? I'm so tired of excuses. When you express something that needs to be done, people that have getting rid of their excuses, they don't tell you a million reasons why it can't be done, they just do it. They don't stand around and put qualifications on God and the pastor, you know, if you want me to be involved, you're going to have to tailor make a ministry that suits each of my unique skill sets. Nope. They see a need. They recognize it may not be their primary gifting, but it needs to be done, so they do it with joy. You know, when we were talking about the septic system, we were having a great event in this room, and our septic system was just going crazy in the bathrooms. I don't know about you, but my primary gifting has nothing to do with sewage. Maybe yours is. God bless you. We need you, but that's not me. I'm sorry. That's not my gifting. And I would dare say most of the people in this room would say, nope, that's not my gift. But you know what? The people that are in this room know who I'm talking about. They jumped. When the water started coming up, they jumped. They grabbed mops. They grabbed buckets. They saw a need, and they responded. They didn't stand around, Brother Kevin, going, Well, we might need to find somebody to do something about that. You know, that could get pretty ugly if we don't deal with uh. They jumped. They didn't stand around and wonder what to do. They knew. There's stuff flowing out of this place. We need to get it stopped. They saw a need. They responded. I'm tired of people offering excuses. I want people to be on the ready. I see something that needs to be done. I want to do it. I walk around here sometimes, and I've done it before, and it's terrible. I shouldn't be like this, but I do. Jesus is helping me get rid of it, but, you know, it's still a problem for me. I'll see a piece of trash in the floor. I'll start walking towards it, and i watch 10 people walk by. And my first thought is, am I the only one that sees trash? Nobody else notices? I, I, we see a need. I know it's not your gift to take out the garbage. But if nobody else takes out the garbage, it's still got to be taken out. So if you see a need, don't make an excuse as to why it's not your gifting. Jump in there and do it. Others, they're not making excuses. They want to be in ministry, but they don't like the area that we need them in. I know you need help with kids, but I, I, I would rather... Preach the ministry of of campus crusades where we go and we preach to thousands of kids. I know you need help with four kids in the nursery, but I'm a thousand kid person, right? People got big plans. Hear me, folks. We need everybody on board. If you see a place to work, we need your help because God said, "If you'll be faithful over little things, I'll make you ruler over many." You be faithful dealing with the four, and God will give you opportunity to preach to a hundred, to a thousand. We all have so many excuses why we'll wait for another time to get involved, another time to partner in missions, another time to do something. But today is the day to make room for Jesus. The excuses. They don't look like excuses to us. They seem like legitimate reasons that they give in the Bible. All the excuses given in the parable, they seem legitimate. I bought some real estate, bought some livestock, I got married. Have you ever known an addict? Eventually, everybody can see the problem except who? The addict. An anorexic standing in front of the mirror, she can't see that she's killing herself. Everybody else is thinking, please wake up and see it or this is going to kill you. But she thinks, I'm fat. This morning, you may not even realize that you're making excuses, but if you're allowing anything to keep you from being fully engaged and connected to Christ, it's time to eliminate the excuse and to start pursuing Jesus full bore, all out, giving everything you got to him. The third way you should respond when Jesus knocks at your door is to respond, Lord, I'm broken. Verse 21, Jesus in his story says, Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Lord, I'm broken. I got stuff in me that is messed up. I got stuff in me that I need help with. I am no—I am by no means the one that is worthy of your love. I need help. You know, there's a man in the Bible named Bartimaeus... He's blind and he stops Jesus because he wants to see. Many of us may not be physically blind, but in some ways we're weaker than that. We can't even see Jesus walking our way. Therefore, we can't hear him ask, What is it that you want? See, Bartimaeus, he, says, he, he hollers out for Jesus and Jesus stops and says, What do you want? Bartimaeus had an opportunity to say, I want to be well, I want to be able to see, I need my eyes. But if we aren't open to the knocking of the Lord, if we're not open to him calling out to us, we may miss our opportunity that he comes by. We don't even get the opportunity to tell him that we need to be fixed because some of us, our lives are in shambles, and we made it through Thanksgiving, and we held it together for family and friends, but now Christmas is here, and when you close it, your eyes at light, the darkness tries to press in on you, and everything feels like it's coming apart at the seams, and you are falling apart. But you walk in here on Sunday morning and somebody says, "How you doing? I'm great. Everything is awesome. Jesus is amazing. I'm so proud of the life that I've built for myself. It's just great. Then you go to your seat and you sit there and you're falling apart on the inside, but every person that sees you, you put a big fake smile on and you act like everything's perfect. And I'm not saying that you need to walk around and broadcast every problem that you got. But when Jesus comes in the room, brother Kevin, you better believe I ain't faking smiling. I'm not. If I got a need and He's got the answer, I'm getting to Him. We can sit in our dark lives and let everything fall apart, or we can invite Jesus to be a part. Put Him in the center, or put Him right in the middle of everything you've got. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen: The Lord is close to the broken hearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus went so far as to say that his ministry, he was anointed to bind up the brokenhearted. Why would he put that as such a priority if we didn't have broken hearts? If our hearts couldn't be broken, if we had supermen, uh-uh. he knows that when we come to him, we're broken and we need help. And he binds us up today. He knows right where you are and he wants to put the pieces back together the dreams that seem shattered right now, he can piece them together. But you got to make some room. you got to let him in. The fourth response, we need to respond with, Lord, I recognize that you want to come in. Verse 21, he says, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. He wanted them in so bad, Brother Kevin. He said, do whatever you got. If you got to trick them, if you got to, whatever you got to do, compel them to get inside. We need to respond to him. Lord, I know you want in and I'm, I want you in. The servant was commanded to go and do whatever it took. You know, there's some people that they just go to church. Their wife makes them go. They go to avoid a phone call from the pastor. They don't want to hear about it from their mom. They don't show up, so they just go. They're not really invested They're just here. But then there's some other folks, they love coming to church. They're so excited to be in God's house. They are connected to God. They recognize that not only do I want to be here, but he wants me to be here. I'm not here today because my wife wants me to be here. I'm not here today because my parents raised me to be here. And I love my wife and I love my parents. It's nothing against them. I'm here today because Jesus wants me to be here, and I want to be here for him. I'm his invited guest to the feast. I want to be here for him. And the thing I love about him is this. He doesn't just invite you to the feast and hang out, but he so wants You to be in him and him in you, I think, is the terminology that John, the writer of the book of John, uses. He so wants to be in you and you in him, the vine and the branches. He wants you to be so connected that when he departed the earth, he promised that he would send a comforter that would be the Holy Spirit to come and dwell with us and shall be in us. He didn't no longer just want to walk side by side down the road. He wanted to take up residence within each and every one of us today we are in his house for whatever reason you came you're here musicians and praise team if you would go ahead and begin to assemble the bible tells me that he jesus christ stands at the door and knocks if anyone will hear his knock and open the door he'll come in and dine with him live life with him in other words if you want to make room for him today he will come in and fulfill the life that he desires for you to live Again, I wish I could sing today, but when I was a kid, and maybe they still sing it upstairs, I hope they do, there was this great little kid song that said, Come into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I know that's really simplistic. I know that's really kiddish. Maybe you're too grown up to appreciate it. But it's that simple. See, I can live here cluttered up, frustrated, irritated, aggravated, all run like I'm run to death without him. Or I can simply say, Lord, come into my heart. Lord Jesus come in today come in to stay come into my heart Lord Jesus David was an amazing character in the Bible had a lot of issues yet we know him as someone who was after God's own heart that gives me hope this morning I hope it gives you hope that no matter what my struggle might be I serve a God who is connected to us on a heart level in spite of our failures and fallacies. But David had gone out, committed terrible sin. He had committed adultery, and then he committed murder to cover it up. I mean, that's like two of the top ten. He broke them bad. And then he was hiding, living like he was super holy and everything was great act like life was just the way it was supposed to be and the prophet came to him told him a story the story made David mad David was like I'll go and slaughter any person who's done the things you're describing and then the prophet says you're the man I can't imagine that happening in my life I hope it never does but if it does I hope my response would be David's response Because David in Psalm 51, he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. A steadfast spirit, a right spirit, one that is determined to live according to the precepts of God's word. Create in me a clean heart. You see, Mika, I've never done this. I've heard people do this. Their house just gets so cluttered, it's just easier to start fresh. Right? Sometimes you just look at the mess that you've made of life and it would be easier if I could just start over. Right? That's the beautiful thing about Christ. He says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. David said, create in me a clean heart. When God creates something, he doesn't do it heart halfway he doesn't start with old material he doesn't start with junk he doesn't take all the old pieces and make back together again the broken part that you had he creates brand new and so today my responsibility is to make room for him so that he can create in me a clean heart so many people are running around trying to clean it up for themselves And I'd love to tell you that that's a possibility. But your best, the best you can come up with, the Bible says, is filthy rags. The best I can do is still rotten. The best I can come up with is still filthy. I need Christ to come and create clean in me. So when we talk about a song like, Come Into My Heart, we're not just inviting him in for a moment. We're inviting him in to stay because we want him to create in us a brand new life. I want to be in him and he in me so that I can be a new creature in Christ Jesus. If we'd all stand together today, I want to ask you, are you willing to make room for Jesus? Not this year, not this season. Are you willing to make room for him today? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appropriate time. I wonder today... If you'd be willing to respond and say lord that's me i've let everything in life clutter up my life i need to clear out some room and let you be lord of my life i want you at the center i want you as the centerpiece of me i want you to be everything in my life that i need it to be when i was a kid my mom loved christmas she decorated and she'd always have a beautiful tree she had ornaments that she loved to put out, and we all had specific ornaments that we had throughout our life, and we were allowed to put certain ones on the tree, and I don't know why I always ended up with white mice. I don't know why that was. I always had white mice, but my mom loved to decorate and loved to put out a beautiful tree, but no matter how how much decor she put out, no matter how much decoration she would have, the center of our living room, the coffee table, was always reserved for Jesus I remember for a long time it was an open Bible to the story of Luke chapter 2 and then somebody or somewhere she found a, a nativity scene with glass figurines and Jesus always was at the center of the nativity scene at the center of the table and every year we would come for Christmas and we knew Jesus was going to be at the center of our life he was at the center of our holiday. He was at the center. He was the reason. And, and you know, though we always joke, you know, say those the reason for the season. And, and you know, we blow those off as just kind of candy coated saying sometimes. But I wonder this year if you'd really let him be your reason for this season. Not just this season. But the next one that follows and the one that follows after that, letting Jesus be the center, letting Jesus be the purpose, letting Jesus be the reason that you exist, the reason that you're here, the reason that you walk, the reason that you talk, the reason that you live. The apostle said, in him we live and move and have our being. I don't know about you, but I want to know that I know that I know that I know that Jesus is at the center of everything I've got going on in my life. Father, I thank you for the word of God today. I thank you for your people who have been so kind to listen and respond. Father, right now I pray over this congregation that your glorious presence would come in. Come into my heart. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus take up residence within us all today, oh God. Let us walk afresh in a new life in you today. Lord, I'm not satisfied with the old, I want to be made new. Create in me a clean heart today, oh God. Renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. Let me be the person you made me to be called me to be. And though I'm imperfect, you love me anyway, and I'm so thankful. Today, God, I ask that you would come in and do your perfect will in this house. As they begin to sing, this altar is open. We have people up here who will pray with you if you have something specific you want to pray about. Otherwise, just come and let's gather around this altar. Let's touch Jesus together today, inviting him to be at the center of everything that we do. Make it easy for somebody besides you to come and come with them. Let's gather around this altar. Life Church folks, let's not rush out the door. Let's give Jesus a moment today to touch somebody's life who needs him. I thank you today I thank you for your grace and your mercy it never ends God I'm so thankful I'm thankful God that tomorrow morning when I wake up the storehouse of your grace will be filled once again every day is a new day in you and I'm so thankful God, today I know in this house there are people who came today, Lord, struggling with shame and fear and anxiety over things that are happening all around them. I pray now, God, that you would speak a peaceful word into their life, that you would come and be the peace speaker right now. God, that you would let them know that you are there. You never leave. You never forsake. You're always there. And just because we mess up, you don't drop us by the side of the road. You keep on coming. You keep loving. You keep restoring. You do your perfect and your best in us even when we are imperfect and mess up. I thank you today for your goodness and mercy, your grace, which is amazing. We trust in you, O God, to do amazing things in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being a part of this service. I believe God has touched somebody today. I believe with all of my heart, somebody has chosen to put Jesus back in his proper place. God bless you. Pray for Pastor Thompson as he recovers. Uh, if you got a few moments, you can say a special prayer for me. I have surgery on Tuesday on my ankle. Uh, so just pray with it. The Lord would be with those doctors to do the right stuff. We'll have a great week. We're going to celebrate Christmas together next Sunday. We're going to have a great time together. God bless you. Have a great week.